Today, once again, is uh, part of the story. We've been, we've been walking through this um, since the beginning of the year, and this is part 26 of the story. We only have five more weeks left, um, and so it's going to be fun as we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and we've been talking about Jesus' life, his birth. We've been talking about, you know, the baptism of Jesus. We, we've been talking about his life and ministry here on the earth. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the hour of darkness that he went through and see how it applies or parallels with us as we walk through difficult seasons and, and uh, times where it's not so bright, kind of like a gloomy Sunday morning. Um, so at any rate, we're glad you're here. Um, ushers can pass out the uh, handouts, if you would, the outlines. These are notes that, if you're not familiar with them, they're notes that um, are from my message today. And uh, you can fill in the blank. You can have the verses, some of them at least, that we'll go through today, and you can study them further on your own. I want to encourage you not to forget to upload your selfies of you studying the story with us. Um, we're going to be drawing, once again, in November, uh, or at the end of October, beginning of November, and that's going to be for the big enchilada. That's that's the drawing that I talked about in the very beginning of the year that, that we're going to do a drawing at the end of this series called The Story for an overnight stay at the Kala Hari. Come on, somebody say amen. Yeah. <laughs> you can take your family and, and go down slides and have some fun in the water. Um, so each week, or I should say each month, we've been drawing uh, from those who have uploaded their selfies and uh, this month, we, drew, we made the, uh, did the drawing and found that we have a couple in our church that is not here today as far as I can see. Um, so we've decided that if you're not here to receive it, I get it. <laughs> right? Right? Come on. Um, so, no, just kidding. But this is for Paul and Brenda Mosier. Let's give them a hand. They're not here this morning. David, can I give this to you? And you can pass it along. To Paul and Brenda, they're a wonderful couple in our church, wonderful family. There's their picture. Um, they've just been all over this place and been a part of this church for so many years, and we're delighted that uh, they are here but not here today, okay? So I also want to just remind you of Freedom Sunday two weeks ago. We uh, took a whole Sunday and dedicated it to sort of ending, helping to do our part, our small part of ending human trafficking and, and uh, slavery, and uh, just wanted to do our part continually, and so we received a special offering. We don't pass the baskets normally. We encourage you to give um, back at our giving kiosk as well as our giving box on your own uh, between you and the Lord, and, but once in a while we pass the baskets to receive a special offering for someone outside of the church or some something that's going on. And we did that a couple of weeks ago. Had five speakers uh, up here. And so I just wanted to remind you that you can still give towards that. Just please mark your envelopes um, or your giving online, uh, just uh, Freedom Sunday, and that will go towards that. We uh, Right now, we're somewhere around the $2,000 mark, um, and we're going to sort of uh, divvy it up between several ministries and uh, just be a part of their, their life and their attempt to help end human trafficking or sexual trade in this city, okay? So once again, during the story, we have, we have been hearing testimonies from people in our own church, people that their lives have been transformed and they've come to know the Lord. And so we've had We've had his story, our story, and my story. Those are the three areas of life that we've been talking about. His story, what God's doing in the upper story. And our story, what God's doing on the planet and using our lives. And then my personal story. And so today, we have someone coming to give their testimony, Josh Swankowski. Let's give him a hand as he comes. Come on up here, brother. You can come right over here, and I'll make sure this is on. Is this on? Nope. There we go. There we go. Go ahead. All right. So please bear with me. I don't do very well with uh, public speaking. Um, 
So um, I'm going to kind of just read through this. I'll throw little bits into it as well where I need to. Um, I was born into a wonderful family with a wonderful mother and two amazing grand grandparents that loved me tremendously. My biological father, however, was never in the picture and never wanted to be. My father, the man my mother married and adopted me, did not have to do so, but he chose to step up and be there and to help raise me. This little detail played a role in my life that has now come full circle. My dad is not the best dad in the world and is not someone I could sit down or have a heart to heart with, but he has always been there for me and has tried to do so in his own way. Now I am doing the same thing my father did by adopting our son, Brayden, and learning how a father needs to be and giving him the father that he deserves. This has helped me to learn about God's unconditional love and how to be like the Father that loves all of us. There's two other massive things in my life that have impacted me. Both are my family, the military tradition and heritage that it carries, and also our faith. If I talked about how far back my family's military history goes, it would go on forever. And it would be like a scene from Forrest Gump when they were talking about Lieutenant Dan's family history. And it's much like my own. My grandfather served in World War II, and my two uncles on my mother's side served in the Army and, the, and in the Air Force. My father served 20 plus years in the Army. And this means I got to see a lot of the world at an early age, but it was also hard on our family and my brother and myself especially. But the other part that impacted me was my faith. My grandparents and my great-grandparents were amazing pillars of faith along with one of my uncles who passed away recently. Both my grandfather and great-grandfather were missionaries and pastors. These members of my family taught me so much about faith, strength, marriage, and family. So I always was in church and went to youth group. I got to see several different variations of the Christian faith and some of them just downright scared me, and they still do. I found my way to the Lord in 1995 when we were living in Alaska. At that time, my mother was homeschooling my brother and I. And the section we were covering was the book of Revelations. And I remember how afraid I was reading it and trying to understand it. And knew then that I did not want to see these terrible things come to pass. And I wanted to be able to go to heaven for eternity and not burn in the lake of fire. That moment changed my life forever. Now being saved does not mean that I have not made tremendous mistakes in my life or tried not to do things my own way. That's definitely not the case. When I was a teenager, I made several bad decisions that not only affected me, but affected my parents and my brother as well. My parents decided to send me to a boys' home here in Wisconsin, up north by the UP, and it's called Victory Homes. I was very hard-headed and very difficult, and during this time while I was there, 9-11 happened. And just, just like that, my outlook had changed on my life and how I felt about things. <clears throat> Many that come from my grandparents' generation experienced Pearl Harbor, and for me, 9-11 was a touchstone just like it was for my grandfather. I made the decision to join the Army at the age of 17, and out of pure spite towards my dad, I decided to join the infantry. And I know now why he was so upset with that decision. Because he knew that I was going to be on the front lines and experience things that would haunt me for the rest of my life. I would make the same choice again, however, just not being as bullheaded about, bullheaded about it as I was then. I met my first wife while shipping out for Fort Benning, Georgia. This is another one of those bad choices that I made. I got married in 2005, 
and it was very up and down. But at that point, I stopped going to church completely. My grandmother then passed away in 2006. And during this time, it became a very dark period for me. There are many times that I should have died. And if it wasn't for the Lord and him not being ready for me to come home, I would have. And due to this, I really began to drink very heavily, and I tried to kill myself on three separate occasions. The last time, I almost succeeded. This was fueled by my anger towards my wife at the time and her infidelity, myself, the things I was seeing, the things I was experiencing, and I chose to blame God. I realized that my wife then had never loved me, and I felt like God had turned his back on me. I was losing my friends and dealing with something that was taking over my life. As everything was beginning to crumble around me, I suddenly found myself alone. But even though I felt alone, I was never truly alone. The person who I had married then finally left me, and I had made the mistake of getting out of the military in a very terrible way, and again, this was another bad choice. By this point, it was 2010, and I am bouncing around from job to job because no one wants a gunfighter or a security risk. My heart was so hardened, and I completely turned myself away from God. My mother, being amazing as she is, she never gave up on me. She kept trying to spend time with me, trying to take me to church. But by 2012, I was a complete wreck. I no longer wanted to have any human contact outside of my mother or work. And at this point in my life, at my darkest moment, was when I met my wife, Kay. She had no idea what she was in for. And I started off as the worst, with the worst pickup line ever. Hey, want a text? <laughs> Sounding like a creepy, salty old veteran that she calls me. I was so beaten down emotionally at this point, it took me four, about four months to build up the courage to ask her out, and also spending two hours on a phone call at three o'clock in the morning. But this is truly the best thing that has ever happened to me, and maybe her. Around this time, my grandfather passed away, and I started to truly feel alone, and I felt like a failure and a disappointment to my grandparents, myself, and my parents as well. It was a struggle for the first year or so for Kay and I. We moved in together in 2013 and moved to Madison. She started attending church here shortly after that. Because my mom's lifelong friend, Patrice, was coming here at the time, I started attending in December. Kay and I came into our relationship knowing what we wanted, and we finally uh, got married in 2015. Easily the happiest moment of my life, hands down. One thing that I found in Kay is that I never had this level of trust or confidence that I had been missing. Our relationship from day one has been built on trust, communication, respect, and faith. But it has not been an easy road back to God and his grace. That is something I spoke of that has hung with me like a dark hole over my life, and that is my, my PTSD. It has shaped how my mind works and reacts, and it is a tool that the enemy loves to use against me. I finally started to get treatment for it about two years ago, and it is by far one of the better choices I have made. But what started me back on my path to God was letting everything that has been tying me down for so long just letting it go. And that started by hearing the excess baggage message. Those hit me like being shot by a bullet or being blown up by an IED. I realized that my heart was so hard and I was holding on to my hatred, anger, and guilt for so long that it had completely ruled and ruined my life. And I was letting those bad things that I had witnessed and experienced control me. But all of this slowly started to melt away as I realized that I was myself 
and everyone else around me because of not just because of how I was acting, but because of how I needed to become. I redirected my life to God from that moment on, and I have been much happier and easier to get along with. That doesn't mean that my PTSD is cured or that I am an, a happy-go-lucky person now. I still have to live with this every day in my life, but God continues to help me. It has gotten much, much easier and less of a burden. But let me leave you with one passage of Scripture that One thing that I hope I can say when my life finally comes to the end is in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Love you, bro. We continue to lift Josh up and Kay, and um, just a wonderful couple in our church. He's actually um, the administrative assistant at Metro Believers Church now, so you may talk to him on the phone when you call or stop in the office. Um, so thanks for sharing that. I, I'm just blessed to hear your story and to, to know that you're back on track with God and loving him and allowing him to be a part of that. We just lift him up right now. Let's pray as a family. Father, for PTSD, we just take authority over that in Jesus' name, and we ask for you to just heal that area of his life, that hole in his heart that seems to trigger, be triggered by the enemy anytime he wants. And so that's not your will. That's not your goal. That's not what you want for, for Josh and Kay and Braden. God, we just lift them up to you, and we pray for healing and victory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for sharing that. Um, let's, so uh, obviously time, time is a, a little short, so chances are I probably won't finish this message today, um, but that's okay. Uh, so I'm going to share some things that I think are very, very important. And, uh, you know, today as we continue the story, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We're not just learning in, in this series, I've shared with this, this with you before, historical truth from the Bible, but we're learning life lessons. Um, like Josh talked about, he came here to church and I was preaching a series called Excess Baggage, and somehow that message impacted his life and ministered to him and helped him let go of some things and lay them down and get back on his pursuit for the Lord and for truth. So we're learning, we're learning life lessons. Everyone say life lessons because that, that word is so important for us to understand that, that life is all about lessons. It's all about learning. It's all about growing. It's all about, you know, finding new truths that, that help unlock areas of our life that may be, may be traumatized or messed up from our past. We all have them. We all have issues of our past, and as many of you know, that we're on, we're on a journey uh, through the greatest story ever told. My goodness, the Bible. Everyone say the Bible. The Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, yeah, that's the book for me. Uh, we're, we're on this journey through the greatest story ever told, and it actually isn't finished yet. This whole thing isn't, it isn't finished yet. Um, God is still writing this story, and he's using you and I as part of the characters in that story. And, and here's what we've been finding out, that God wants, God wants us to have courage. Everyone say courage. Just say it one more time, courage. God wants us to have courage enough to follow him and align our life with him, align our life with the story that he's writing and to become doers of the word, not just hearers. He's calling. Everyone wants to be called by the Lord. He is. He's calling us. He's calling you, and he's calling me to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. The old saying back, back where I grew up was, talk's cheap, takes money to buy whiskey. 
You know, <laughs> you just, it's, you know, it's really, really, really walking the walk and, and, and living it out and aligning our lives with him and, and deciding to have courage, the courage that's necessary to, to, to stand up for him and to be who God has called you to be. Josh, for you to be who God's called you to be. And I'm so proud of you that you have taken this on and, and of course, have a wonderful family and, and adopted Braden and all of the things that you're doing and standing up for Christ and standing back in that role as a man. I'm so proud of you and what God has in store for you. And I'm so proud that you're walking it out one day at a time. He's called us to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And, and listen to me, that's not easy. That's not easy to do, especially in the Madison spiritual climate and culture here in this city that we live in. I I promise you, I lived down south, you know, down you know, in the Bible Belt for a few years, and, and it was a whole lot easier to live this stuff out because you had people constantly around you that were supporting um, your values and the things that you deeply believed in. And so, you know, coming up here, especially in this Madison, you know, sort of postmodern, you know, uh, hedonistic capital of the Midwest, if you will. It, it's a little more difficult to do that. And the enemy, the enemy wants to do his best to, to, to destroy us, to get us to back off. Um, and he's had, he seems to have had a, a major stronghold. We talked about the strongholds being broken in the worship today. I hope you caught that. Um, we talked about that. But the enemy seems to have had a major stronghold in this city, Madison, for decades, I, I, you know, when you, we came here, and Dave will tell you, and Josh, and, and, and Charity, and, and a few of the others will tell you, when we started to pray and walk the streets of this city, um, we could sense that the enemy um, had some spiritual strongholds in this city and, and pretty much intimidated people to, you know, from being a Christian and living it out publicly. And so we, we watched that as we prayed and and, and sought the Lord as to what he wanted us to do here in this city and where he wanted us to be. But he's had a major stronghold. We, we realized that with, with the demographics and the statistics when we found that only 4 to 6% of the population claimed to go to church on a regular basis, um, juxtaposed to down in Tulsa, 75 to 80%, you know, in terms of attending church and being part of the family of God and, and a community of believers, so the enemy seems to have had a stronghold, and, and he comes and goes. He, he turns up the heat. Sometimes he, he lets, lets, you know, turns it down, and, and it's almost as if he doesn't exist anymore here. And all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> he sucker punches you uh, or, or the church. And um, he likes to sow seeds of conflict, and he likes to sow seeds of chaos and and intimidation, and discouragement, and discord. Uh, those are the kind of seeds that the enemy likes to sow. When I, when I talk about sowing, I'm talking about planting something in the ground so it grows up. And he loves to plant these seeds of conflict between us, and chaos, and confusion, and intimidation, and discouragement. Some of you this morning here are discouraged, and and, and you just feel like, I don't know if I can continue. Maybe I should just give up and quit. It's this discouragement. He loves, he loves to get us discouraged. He loves to steal our joy. The Bible says in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He loves to steal your joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you don't have any joy, you don't have any strength. And and that's exactly where the enemy wants to put you and, and the things he wants to do to you. He wants to steal your, your joy and he wants to get you discouraged. And, and I don't know if you've realized it or not, but we individually and corporately are in a spiritual battle. There's like three people that, that kind of whispered, yeah. I don't know if you realized it. Let me give you another do-over. I don't know if you realized it or not, but, but we individually and corporately are in a spiritual battle. And I've noticed 
that it seems to be an all-out assault in churches and individual believers' lives over the past six to 12 months like I have never seen it before here in this city, and many of you can attest to that. The enemy's having his way, and he's pushing us around and believers in a hole. He wants to destroy us and our witness and silence who we are. It's all about territory for him. He wants to take over. He wants, he's not wanting to give up any ground. He wants to push us around and intimidate us into being silent. I've seen it happen. I, I serve on a board in the city of pastors, part of the lead team, and I've watched it happen among church after church after church. I personally know of several churches that have had serious trouble. They, they've gone through church splits and loss of attendance and crazy things have happened among church members and staff that if I told you, you would either laugh or cry because some of these things are so stupid and silly, but yet devastating. I know several pastors that are so hurt and discouraged that they're only one bad Sunday away from quitting and throwing in the towel. We, as a church, have been under serious attack as well. And I need you to know this so we can fight together, not fight each other. Amen. We've been under serious attack, and, and the enemy wants to do everything he can to destroy us and to, to push us around and push us back. It's a, it's a battle for our very existence. The enemy wants to create discord and between us and intimidate us into living a secret Christian life, sort of go underground, pull back. His strategy is to divide and conquer. He wants you to believe that I'm your problem. And he wants me to believe that you are my problem. Check this out. It's not in your notes, but in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible has something to say about this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Everyone say strong. Don't say weak. Say intimidated. Doesn't say pushed around. Doesn't say beat up. Doesn't say you know, recoil, retreat, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Saw on a Facebook post just yesterday this graphic, pull it up there, and I, it really spoke to me. The days are evil. Dress appropriately. Come on. Listen, how are you dressing yourself? we got to take this stuff, ser stuff seriously. What are you doing, you know, with the armor of God that he's given us? Put on the full armor of God. In other words, dress appropriately. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your what? Stand against the devil's schemes. Notice that. The devil's schemes. He, he's a schemer. One translation says the devil's devices. Another one says the devil's traps. So that we can take our stand against the traps of the enemy, against the schemes and the tactics and the devices of the enemy. And then he goes on to give us a little glimpse into what's going on behind the scenes, and this is what he says. For our struggle, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That's our problem. Let's, 
Let's pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> right? Let's notice, notice who is the person or the thing causing the struggles or the battles in our lives is the devil. Are you with me today? It's the enemy. It's the one that wants to create chaos and division and discord and discontentment and disappointment, discouragement. He wants to steal your joy, as I said before. And so today, in the few minutes that I have left, I want to just simply expose the liar for who he is. I want to pull back the covers so you can see what's going on. Here's the deal, folks. Here's the deal, church. Your spouse is not your problem. Your kids are not your problem. Your friends are not your problem. Your boss is not your problem. Your pastor is not your problem. The enemy is the problem. And here's the deal. He is defeated. So don't let him win the battle for your mind and your relationships. Don't let him win. He only wins if you let him. Listen to me. The enemy is the prince of pressure. We're going to expose him. He is the prince of pressure. He knows how to turn up the heat. He knows how to get you to cave in. He knows your, your, your weak spots. He knows the buttons to push and the levers to pull in your life. He knows how to put you on an emotional roller coaster and set you up for seeds sown that will destroy relationships around you. Things that have been built for years the enemy wants to come in and in an instant destroy. He is the prince of pressure. He is the master of manipulation and misunderstanding. He knows how to create this, this he manipulates you into a position where a misunderstanding is not a small issue, but it's a, a, a mountain that's made out of a molehill. And before you know it, that mountain of misunderstanding, which is small, but he manipulates you emotionally into believing it's something huge, he's the master at it. Listen, he wants to destroy our relationships. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to take down this city. Trust me. He wants to manipulate your emotions to get you to fixate on the negative. He is the designer of disappointment and discontentment. He wants to drive a wedge in our relationships. He wants to drive a wedge in the relationships between husbands and wives. He wants you to see each other as your enemy. He wants to create enough evidence for you to see that, that they are the problem. He wants to drive a wedge in your relationship. Always remember that. Don't let him win. Amen? Amen. You need to be fighting partners, not partners that fight each other. You need to build a strong, solid foundation on the Word of God and not just allow anything that kind of floats through the air to take root and destroy your life. He wants to create misunderstandings among us that cost us our relationship. I cannot tell you how many misunderstandings I've watched over 38 years of ministry. Small, simple, explainable, pure and innocent misunderstandings that somehow takes on a life of its own and creates such hurt that it destroys a relationship that's been built over a lifetime like that. All because we bought in 
to the lies of the enemy. Listen, what do we do? What do we do when this stuff happens? What do we do? We just, do we just cave in and quit? We just quit? We just run the other way? We casually write off that friendship or relationship or church? No. I say no. We fight. We fight the good fight of faith. We stand against the enemy's tactics and schemes. Amen? We fight. We don't roll over and quit. We don't let him have his way. Folks, I, can t- I, c- I, just, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had in the last six months to a year of church after church all around this city that are fighting for their lives. It just seems like there's just an all-out assault. We stand. We fight. Amen? We win. We refuse to let him win. We stand against conflict, chaos, intimidation, discouragement, and discord. Listen, we all understand spiritual warfare, or we should. There's two types of warfare. A lot of people don't understand this, but there's two types of warfare. There is spiritual warfare where we take the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, and we fight. We take the Word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword, and we use it against the enemy just like Jesus did in the wilderness when he said, it is written. We stand on the Word. We use the weapons of our warfare There's so many different weapons that we've been given as a church. We've been given the word. We've been given worship. We've been given uh, forgiveness. All the different things that we have that I could list 10 or 15, maybe 20 different spiritual weapons that God has given to the church and to the believer to use against the enemy in spiritual warfare. Everyone say spiritual warfare. The second type of warfare that most don't understand is what we call lifestyle warfare. There's spiritual warfare and there's lifestyle warfare. Lifestyle warfare is when we choose to live out the Scripture, when we choose to obey the Bible and walk it out regardless of what our emotions tell us. We choose to become a doer of the Word. We continue to walk this out. We don't, we, we don't become intimidated and back off. We live it day in and day out. Amen? We live it. That's lifestyle warfare. We do what the Bible says, and we're not dictated by our emotions. Amen? We don't go by our emotions. You've heard me say this time and time again. Build your life on principles, not emotions. Build your life on principles, not emotions. That's lifestyle warfare. When we live our, our lives on principles, they don't change. Amen. Emotions change. <laughs> if we could get inside of your head and your heart and your mind, will, and emotions and, and, and record, you know, your emotions over the last 24 hours, <laughs> it'd be crazy, right? Because your emotions change constantly, but principles don't. The principles of the word don't, they don't change. Lifestyle warfare is choosing to do what the Bible says regardless of how you feel. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen? So, what do we do? What do we do? We stick together. See, that's, that's the tactic of the enemy. He wants to drive us apart. Amen? He wants to drive us apart. Will we let him know? We stick together. We don't believe his lies about each other. We don't believe his lies about our church. Whether it's our church or another church across town, we don't believe 
the lies that the enemy wants to sow, the discord, the discouragement, and all the other things that go along with it. We don't believe the lies about our church and each other. We take authority over him in the name of Jesus. Come on. Did you know that you've been given authority according to Scripture? All authority I've given unto you. Now go. God gave us authority to use it. Did you hear me? To take authority over the things that the enemy, the schemes and the devices and the plans that the enemy has to destroy. That's what he does. He destroys. How many of you know greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world? Amen. <laughs> we, have, we have the creator of the universe living on the inside of us. Come on. And we let so many things happen. We buy into so many lies. We let the enemy have his way to destroy life around us. And we won't stand up against him. We just let it happen. Come on. No, we take authority over him. And we break the power of the strongholds of destruction and disappointment and discouragement. Listen, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is lifestyle warfare. You keep believing the Bible. You keep standing strong. You keep coming to church. You keep giving. You keep forgiving. You keep loving. You keep serving. You keep believing the best about each other, regardless of what you heard. You don't believe the gossip or the half-truths or the innuendos or the way the enemy twists and manipulates things to set you up. No, you keep believing the best about each other and about your church. Listen. The enemy wants to do his best to get you off your game and to, to, to rob you of equilibrium. Keep believing the best. We believe in a life-giving church here. Life-giving simply means that we choose to believe in innocence and altruism. We choose to believe the best. So when someone comes to me and tells me something about you, I don't just believe it and then treat you accordingly. I choose to believe the best. And if I have questions, I choose to talk to that person face to face, not running around talking to everybody else, sowing seeds of discord, playing the game of the devil. That's what we do. That's how we fight. That's lifestyle warfare. You keep doing what God's told you to do. You keep doing what the Bible tells you to do. You defeat the enemy by standing against him. Not by giving in to his pressure. Remember, he's the prince of pressure. And he wants to put enough pressure on you so you cave. Listen, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. 2 Corinthians 2.10 says, I've forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ, let Satan, lest Satan should take advantage of us. And how many of you know he wants to do that? Lest Satan takes advantage of us. And it goes on to say, for we are not what? Ignorant of his devices. We don't have to be ignorant of the devil's devices and his schemes and his strategies. Listen, for those of you that think there's something wrong with our church, you're right. Why? Because Metro Believers Church is made up of the not-so-perfect church. We are imperfect people. We make mistakes. What do we do? We love each other, we forgive each other, we care about each other, we serve each other. Amen? 
We are a life-giving church. We want to do what God's called us. So here's what I declare. I declare what Isaiah declared in Isaiah 54, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Absolutely no weapon formed against us will prosper. No weapon formed against the churches that are on the edge, that are teetering for their very existence here in the city will prosper. And any tongue that rises up against them in judgment is condemned, for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's what the Bible says, church. That's, we live the Bible. We don't live in some fictitious world. You know, where anything goes and anything that happens, you just sort of accept. No. We don't choose to, or we choose not to accept what the enemy wants to do. And here's what I believe as we close today. Matthew 16, 18 says that Jesus wants to build his church in a way that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And I believe and I declare that Metro Believers Church is being built by Jesus in a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I declare that for this church and I declare and decree it for every church in this city who proclaims the name of Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. Are you with me? We stand. We believe. We trust. We care. And we don't let the enemy win. Amen? Let's bow our heads as we worship the Lord today. Father, I'm asking you to do a work deep within our heart as we've tried our best to expose the enemy today. And to break the strongholds that he's tried to use against the city for decades. Take authority over those strongholds. Take authority over the minds and the hearts of your people. We pray for for peace. We pray for unity, as Matt talked about. We pray for love and compassion and care. We pray for understanding and empathy. We pray for love, God, the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to flow out of us to each other and to this city. This morning, I I just feel like we need to do our best to break the strongholds in our minds and our hearts and our emotions. If you're here today and say, you know, when you were speaking, I found myself believing some of the lies of the enemy and maybe even acting on them. And I just need to move forward and trust the Lord, repent and, and, and just enter into lifestyle warfare and live this stuff out and break his strongholds and break his power. If that's you and you'd like to prayer today, just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you all over the place. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you. God bless you. God, we just say enough is enough. We're not about to let the enemy have his way. Have people made mistakes? Sure, they have. Sure. Has the enemy exposed it? Sure, he has. Has he manipulated things? Sure. But we're not going to accept it in our lives, in our church. We're going to fight the good fight of faith and stand strong. God, I pray for each person that lifted their hands right now. I pray, God, that that heart, that mind would be cleansed and strengthened by truth. Pray, God, that each one of us would realize how valuable, important 
people that are around us are. And the enemy doesn't like that. He wants to, he wants to destroy that. So we break that stronghold in Jesus' name. We terminate every assignment that's been sent forth from hell to bring chaos and destruction. Not only to us, our individual lives, not only to our church, but to this city. Church that operates and functions in the unity, God, that you've been working towards in this city to do something amazing. The enemy doesn't like it. He wants to stop it. But he's defeated. <laughs> he's defeated. He's defeated in our lives and our minds. As we read the Bible, we, we let the Bible be our filter, not our emotions. So, Lord, come, have your way in each of our lives as we surrender to you. We surrender to you. We choose to love each other and care about one another. Can we just worship the Lord today just for a couple minutes here? I'd even like to invite you, some of you, just to come down and just worship perhaps from here. That would be awesome together if we could do that. Let's just do that together, okay?